Hey everybody, we're the Mentorers, your bi-weekly-ish look at the world of Jews and sports, the world's greatest and usually only <laughs> Jews and sports podcast. I'm Jamie, here with my co-host Gabe. Gabe, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. You know, they say that 80% of success is showing up, and we're now on our, what, 75th odd episode? So we've, we've like outlasted that. all the other imitators, all the other haters, all the other competition. Um Definitely not 80%. 50% is showing up. 50% is showing up. Well, enough of it that we're... You think it's more than that? We're still showing up. That's what we're here for. We're for still showing audience. up. Um, and we've got, yeah. got a, a really interesting show for you tonight. Almost a, a full episode of Literary Corner. Um, a long yeah, term, I would say this is a sort of... segment of the Benchwarmers. I, I was thinking about this before, that our, our last episode we interviewed uh, Jonah Fialco, who, who's a hot dog vendor at Wrigley Field. Um, so this is sort of like a mini-series on sort of different different careers within the Jewish sports world that weren't necessarily front of mind as, you know, compared to like players, general managers, coaches, and stuff like that. Um, we have a, a, a great interview. Yeah, different, different perspectives, different roles within the Jewish sports ecosystem. Um, we have an interview coming up with Stacey Agdern. Uh, Stacey is a romance novelist whose specialty, whose, you know, novels really focus on Jewish athletes, uh, Jews in sports, and specifically hockey. Uh, she has a new book, Bnei Mitzvah Mistake, coming out in just a few days. Uh, so it was really great to talk to her about her new book, Jewish sports romance writing, uh, Jewish romance writing, all of it. It was very, it was very cool to get the perspective. Yeah. I, I'd say I, something neither you or I really knows a lot about, but it's, it, 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 you know, we do this podcast not just to educate our listeners, but to educate ourselves. Uh, it, was <laughs> it's, to, it was great to talk learning, to Stacey. Learning is a collaborative experience. And and sure. podcasting is a collaborative experience. Interviewing is a collaborative experience, and the growth that comes of that is interesting. We, the conversation is interesting. It ranges from, um, basically, you know, what it means to be proud of being Jewish, all the way to the specific contours of Adam Fox's body. Um, we really, <laughs> we really go up and down, all over the place. Um, and it's it's a, a really fascinating and conversation, and I had a blast. Stacy was lovely and a lot of fun to talk to. Um, and, really, and maybe our first, maybe our first guest who like us is a McGill McGill University alum. I'm not sure if we've had anyone else on Ooh, who's yeah, a McGill alum. Probably somebody, uh, probably somebody we didn't talk about it with. But she's from New York. But great to find out that, uh, like like many uh, northeasterners before her, she uh, made the journey up to Montreal. Many to, northeastern, to, Westchester, to go to Canada's New York Jewish people. Uh, she's yeah. made their way to, to McGill, Canada's Harvard, Canada's yeah, Brandeis, Canada's greatest university. We like to think of Harvard as uh, America's McGill. Yeah, actually. Yeah, uh, that's just right. FYI. Um, uh, nice to meet another a fellow a fellow Martlet. Do you know we're all Martlets now? Yeah, we're all Martlets now. Um, we're all. They Martlets got rid now. of yeah. the the previously racist name. Do you? I'm. I. You know, this is a, a a side note. But do you remember there was an episode of Letter Kenny where Jewish actor Jay Baruchel played a neo-Nazi who was upset they were getting rid of the racist hockey team names. And he gives a huge rant about why it's important to keep the racist name. And one of the players just goes, you know, I think this guy's a bit of a goof, eh? And then they just move <laughs> on. Jay, Jay Baruchel is, is like most of the uh, like mainstream Jewish hockey content that, that goes on in pop culture. You know? I think so. Although I guess like, you know, because he, he wrote and directed, he wrote, sorry, he wrote Goon. He wrote and directed Goon 2. Mm -hmm. And he's in it as well, although he doesn't play a Jewish character. Um, but he's, you know, a well-known you know, you know, Jewish Habs fan. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, like care obviously cares about hockey a lot and you know is uh pretty publicly Jewish. I don't know if there's any other like movies I can think of that feature Jewish hockey players. Obviously, there's some Jews in the Mighty Ducks. Um, but I don't know if I can think of anything yeah, is, else. Yeah, um, is Goldberg canonically Jewish? I think Goldberg is, and also maybe the kid with glasses. Uh, I don't recall his name. Uh, I can't recall if any of the actors per se okay. in the I'm, Mighty Duck series are I'm Jewish, but bringing I, up, I, 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 I got to figure some of them are. Bring it up right now. I don't think anyone from the Iceland team, the evil team in D2, um, no. was potentially Jewish. Um, even though, right. what was the, the, the dentist, the evil, uh, the evil coach, um, even though Iceland doesn't yeah. really have a hockey team as, as we all know. No. Um, but the, the evil coach's name, uh, Wolf, the dentist Stanson, um, yeah, with their star right. Gunnar Stahl. I don't think they were all particularly Jewish, although I'm looking through now, you know, Gordon Bombay, Emilio Estevez, not Jewish, Joshua Jackson, Charlie Conway. Um, Jesse Smollett, Jesse Smollett, uh, Jewish hockey player. There you go. Which, which, uh, which one? Uh, he played the character named Terry Hall, Jesse's younger brother in Mighty Ducks one. And, uh, wow. Is more famously known for staging a hate crime against yes, himself. I, I was about to say, and now, you know, it seems that Goldberg, um, is canonically Jewish. He's played by Jewish actor, Sean Weiss. Um, yeah, who, and Aaron Schwartz, who played Dave Carp, also uh, I think canonically Jewish. So, so yes. that's uh, that's that's a few. Anyways, um, so you know, exciting to get into some Jewish hockey talk with with Stacy. Just you know, cool to think about this from a different perspective. I mean, I, I don't know that I'm going to be a you know a, a new a new uh, romance reader per se. Like it's a, but it is interesting as a genre that it's so like hyper specific in terms of. Uh, these genres and, and uh, these subgenres and like that. It, let me put it this way. It's very nice that if you are someone who wants to read romance novels exclusively about Jewish protagonists, you yeah. could read them for the rest of your life. Now you can totally. pretty much read one a day. If There's... you're somebody who wants to read just about sports romance, like, and Stacey gets into this with us, like there is a lot of it. You can really get into it and, and really read a lot about it. So that's, it's very cool. Like it's, it's cool that all this exists. It, it's nice that, you know, there's been a flattening, I guess, to a certain degree of the publishing world that allows so much of this to get published and, and be available and, and get to it and get to an audience that is, that is yearning for it. I, I, I agree. It's, it's, I think that sports fandom, as you said, we think of as one dimensional as well as Jewish sports fandom. You look at your right. team and you cheer for it. And we get into this conversation with Stacy that, you know, romance novels aren't just bodice rippers and and sex fantasies. They're, you know, stories about things that happen in the real world and things that can happen to you about people and characters that you might know and experiences that you might have. Um, and that folds in very nicely with both sports fandom and Judaism in a way that we didn't right. fully know. Um, uh, before we get to that interview, I, I, I think we should, we should just go over a little bit of sports news that's been going on, uh, <clears throat> on the hockey scene. Um, not much to talk about in terms of the, the players Elimination that are left. Of, I think uh, of, uh, of all Jews from the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, when we're taping this, uh, the hurricanes and, um, the, uh, stars are technically alive, but it's going to be Vegas and, and Florida in the finals. So not a lot of Jewish representation there. Um, Zach Hyman, uh, you know, in the in the conference finals was was I think really the last the, the semi conference uh, semifinals, as well as uh, yeah, the sorry, Hughes the conference brothers. semifinals. He was yeah. brothers on the east side too. 
Oh, that's true. I guess. I, sorry, I thought of New Jersey as they, they got uh, bounced pretty quickly, but it's true. They were, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they were around. I guess <laughs> uh, they didn't make it. So, so too bad. Um, not a lot of Jewish uh, rooting interest in terms of anything else in the NHL. But there's always next year. Um, on the basketball side, I mean, as we're taping this again, the, the Eastern Conference isn't set yet, but the uh, the Denver Nuggets are in the finals. Uh, led by uh, definitely not Jewish Nikola Jokic and uh, the the often mistaken for Jewish but not Jewish cranky family who who are the owners. Yes, um, I, I guess the Miami Quite Heat have a Jewish it. owner. You know, Miami Miami's Heat? like a pretty they Jewish, do Nikki Harrison, pretty, Israeli. Yeah, Miami's a pretty Jewish city. <clears throat> I guess if you wanna if you wanna cheer for anything, you can cheer for the Florida teams. Like, there's probably some Jewish connection there in, in that like. I don't know. Lots, lots of Jews, Jews, uh, especially from Canada on winter vacation, like go to Heat and Panthers games, like get attached to those teams as a second team. Oh yeah, it's of. a real thing. Uh, so, so that's something. Uh, unfortunately, no Jewish players uh, still around. Um, I did want to talk about briefly is that Israel has made it to the the U twenty World Cup. This isn't something we talked talked about before, but um, <coughs> excuse me. Israel is currently playing in the under twenty uh, FIFA World Cup. Uh, it's their first time in the in the U twenty World Cup, and it's their first time in a in a you know World Cup World Cup uh, of any kind since since the nineteen seventies when Israel made it. Um, mm-hmm. It was a bit of a controversy. I guess we didn't cover this at the time. It must have been in between episodes. But uh, Indonesia had been slated to host it and uh, basically balked at hosting it due to Israel. Uh, yeah, and, and it was sort of quickly. You know- figured out that it would be moved to Argentina uh, and, and, FIFA and the rights was pretty, were stripped from Indonesia. Maybe militant is the wrong word, but FIFA was very defendant of Israel throughout this whole process. Um, yeah, which is nice to see, I guess. I mean, I, we, we've talked about this before in the context of soccer, which is that, I don't know, soccer has a lot of anti-Semitism problems. And, yes. uh, and, and I don't know, no, the idea of, yes, we're going to host this international tournament unless Israel makes it, in which case we won't. Oh, no, we're not concerned about any of the, I don't know, myriad human rights uh abuses lack of democratic norms whatever you want to call it of many of the other countries that are participating or could be participating in this tournament but israel being involved no that's the bridge too far so absolutely yeah um i don't know much about the indonesian soccer soccer organization but i can't imagine it's not corrupt too too bad for them think about soccer soccer organizations um yeah, I you know baseball season continues apace. Um, you know we see. Well, when... sorry, I was just going to say oh, before go before we get to that, I just want to say, but sorry, just as as we're recording this, it's the knockout stage. Is Israel has one draw and one loss. They lost to Colombia, which I don't think is a surprise to anyone. I mean, it's Colombia. It's one of the one of the better soccer programs in the world. But they mm-hmm. did manage a one one draw with Senegal, which is pretty impressive. Uh, you know, Senegal's had plenty of teams in the World Cup. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're often in the in the U twenty, uh, and so they're going. Israel's going to be playing its last match against Japan on May twenty seven, just a few days from now, uh, as we're recording this. It it, it would be a, a pretty impressive thing for Israel to beat Japan. That's pretty much what they will need to do uh, to make it to the knockout stage. There's there's a way for them to play in uh, based on their you know based on their numbers to the possible knockout stage uh, if they're not one of the top two teams in their group. But but being one of the top two teams is the best is the easiest way to get in basically. Yep. Um. So we'll see that that's you know is definitely worth checking out this weekend. Uh, if Israel can beat Japan, that would be a huge win, and I think you know speak volumes about what the 
football program in, in Israel is, is doing and how it's building up. And, you know, hopefully, especially with an expanded World Cup field for the senior World Cup, leading to another Israel birth. And if not in, in if not in 2026, uh, then hopefully in 2030. You know, I say this, you know, as, as positively as I can, but I cannot imagine the geopolitical conversations that will happen if that's the case. Yeah. Like it's I true, can't imagine but, you know, it go smoothly. It, it, it's impressive to see Israel, Israel football, uh, you know, getting to this place on the world stage, uh, you know, making the U20 World Cup and, and hopefully having a good run through uh, 2026 qualifications. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, potentially having you could have an Israel game in, uh, you know, a, a, an American city with a large Jewish population. Having having an Israel game in Miami or New York or L.A. would be pretty amazing. So. It's definitely it's not off the table. Uh, it's absolutely. definitely it's definitely possible. No, it's absolutely yeah. possible. Um, and and I think it'll be you know it's it's going to be a fun qualifying cycle no matter what. We're still looking for that global Jewish soccer star, uh, yet to be found. Yeah, you know on a on a massive scale. I think Mario Balotelli was the closest we got being raised and adopted by a Jewish family. <laughs> um, sure, I mean Manor Solomon, uh, you know who's playing for Fulham now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's on the Israeli national team as well. It's too old to be on the on the under twenty team, obviously, but uh, had you know represented Israel internationally on that team before. Uh, you know he he is he is contributing. Uh, he's but, contributing to Fulham certainly. He's playing in the Premier League is is obviously pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, that's so, a, you know we'll. It's a very good point. Maybe he'll be he'll have his chance to shine in Canada in twenty twenty six. Yeah, uh, in Canada, the U.S. or or in the NAFTA the NAFTA World Cup, the USMACA World Cup. It is now. We're, we're, Usman World Cup. You're right. You're right. right. You're right. We're in the post-Trump. I'm living era. in the '90s, man. Yeah, it's, you are very much so. Um, should we take a quick? Yeah, NAFTA just we... rolled off our tongue. <laughs> should we take a quick break before we get to our interview with Stacy? Yeah, before we do, I uh, want to talk a little bit our partnership about our partnership with Betstamp. Betstamp. Uh, the Betstamp. Betstamp app, which is helping thousands of people win at sports betting for free. Uh, it is the best resource for finding the best prices. The best lines out there, comparing lines uh, and and de- deciding where to put your money. Uh, if you're anything like us, then yeah. you have been. I wanted to ask you spending some some fun money on uh, gambling the last and, year or so. And would since you say, it's been Jamie, legalized in Ontario? Like, are you an optimizer? Like, do you like to optimize your life? Yeah, absolutely. I shop around. I, I check prices. I like to get a good deal on on whatever I can. And and this is. I guess sounds like a platform that would allow you to do that, but with your gambling dollar. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, basically the way it works is you can check any uh, bet that you would want to make and see where on the various sports books that exist in, that exist within your jurisdiction, if you're in Ontario, the, all the ones that exist here, uh, and see the different lines that they have. You know, this can make a huge difference in your outcomes if you can get the best lines, uh, all those things. You know, on average, we're told bet stamp users win an extra $1,000 yearly just by line shopping. Um, so it's definitely worth checking out. You can uh, log in, sign up with the uh, promo code Menchwarmers. Betstamp app is on the Apple iOS store, Google Play store, and available through your browser at betstamp.app. Check it out. We're joined tonight by Stacey Agdern, uh, romance novelist extraordinaire. Hi, Stacey. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, James. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really looking forward to chatting tonight. Like, Oh, we're so happy to have you. Can you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about 
who you are, what what do you do? What is the uh, focus on your of your writing uh, that that we found so interesting? So um, my name is Stacey Agdern. I am a New Yorker. Um, I'm a huge hockey fan, have been for a while. Um, I am also pretty much up to my neck in the romance genre. I worked in an independent bookstore for about 10 years. Um, and I've been a published romance writer for since about since 2012, which is a wild thing to think about um, in various shapes or forms. Um, my first solo series, uh, the Friendships and Festival series, came out in uh, began in October of 2020, and my new book, The Bene Mits of a Mistake, comes out in on June 1st, not very long from now. Um, I write Jewish characters very proudly and very excitedly, and I also find ways to insert hockey-related things into my books all the time, (laughs) because that's just what happens. You know, if you pay attention to something enough, you get inspired by what you see and what you read in various ways, and lo and behold, that's what happens. Um, I'm also a huge romance reader, and I've been for a while as well. So first question, at least that I have coming straight from this, is that if what you know, as a big hockey fan, right now we're in the middle of the playoffs. Yep. Is there any? I guess we're at the end of the playoffs now. Is yeah. there any sort of major Jewish tradition or uh, ritual where you think the Stanley Cup could take the place? I have an idea, but I'd like to hear your opinion on what what the most Jewish thing one could do with the Stanley Cup. I mean, take it to an oneg, of course, and like be the the center of the kiddush, like on a Friday sure. night, like. One of the many stories that inspired the series is actually a story I heard about, actually, Adam Fox, we're probably going to talk more about this later, but (laughs) I I found out that after he won the Norris, his parents sponsored an Oneg at the at the congregation that he went oh, to wow. as, yeah that's, that's the, nice. that there were members a, of out there and i was like oh my god phenomenal so, story yeah because doing doing the four full cups of wine at passover with the, with the stanley cup i think would be a little too much you know maybe if you had the whole yeah. team doing it but uh that's, that's yeah. a, bit of a big ass yeah there were i i was gonna suggest that the same way just before they read from the Torah, the B'nai Mitzvah boy or girl parades mm-hmm. the Torah around yep. on their shoulder and everyone touches it with their talus. I think that's where I would put the Stanley that Cup would be so- and Jewish traditions. That would be you know, so coming down yeah. from the Bema and going up and down and through the synagogue. Um, well, also, it, like, what about some Torah? Like, sure. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> you know, bringing it around the, the entire synagogue and the entire town and the entire area, like as everybody's dancing with the Torahs and celebrating. But but you have to it's you have to have like won it, right? It has to be like the every does is, every no does absolutely every it, has to, it, still, it has to be the day with a cup. Yeah, the day with the cup, right? Yeah, your day with the exactly. cup, exactly. Yep. You just gotta it's time supervised. It it's not it. as it's not as wild as as ninety four from the stories that I remember hearing, but uh it is still and earlier clearly, but uh it is still a day with the cup. Well so. that, that's sort of tricky because you would need to have I guess if you had an early enough Simchat Torah, it would be like right during training camp, um, like maybe yeah. before the season starts. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, Stacey, congratulations on the on the new book coming out. I'm sure that's very exciting. Uh, every time you know you. there's publish pub date and uh, you know getting mm-hmm. ready for that. Uh, so we're going to talk about the book a little bit uh, too, but just sort of more generally, how did you get into uh, well, I guess romance reading and romance writing? How how did that uh, pique your interest, or how did that uh, come about? So I've always written, always, 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 Um, you know, talking about romance writing in particular, you know, the traditional Adorvador story. My mother is a huge romance reader. 
Um, and she gave me the book that would be my first romance that I would read, a book by Joanna Lindsay called Until Forever, which destroyed all of my preconceived notions about romance as a genre in one fell swoop. Um, it was not a historical. It was, in fact, a science fiction adventure story with a heroine who was a strong archaeology professor and uh the hero was attached to a cursed sword and it was a great fun like fantasy story that i didn't expect was possible in the romance genre and that was it um when i got into but the sort of the road for me to get into writing hockey romance was a different story entirely okay. and sports romance in general like i started like rachel gibson's c jane score um sort of a seminal book about a newspaper reporter and the like sort of slightly snarky goaltender that um, she is forced to partner with for reasons um, was the first time I'd ever read a hockey, a hockey romance. Uh, Rachel Gibson read a long series of them, but it wasn't until Chasing Stanley that was published in 2007 by Deirdre Martin, which is slightly controversial, but we'll get into that later, um, where in the, in the story of her fictional uh, slightly inspired by Rangers team. Uh, the heroine is Jewish. You know, on the cover, there was like a sort of a, a drawn Stanley Cup. Um, and the the Stanley in question was referred not only to the cup, but also to the main male character's dog, who was a rather large Newfoundland. And, and the heroine was a dog trainer who was Jewish, who lived on Long Island. And it was the first time, like I have, I am a second generation, third generation Ranger fan. Like there are, there are stories of my grandfather skipping Stuyvesant High School to go and, and Columbia to go mm -hmm. and see like the Rangers at the Old Garden. Right. Like I am that degree of, of like steeped in tradition Ranger fan. So like when I started writing romance, I was like, oh, I can't do this. There's no way. I'm Jewish. Like I don't see myself. And you know, one of the reasons why I write what I write is because, you know, you want to see yourself represented. You want to see your culture represented. And so when I read Chasing Stanley, I was like, wait a second, what? you mean people like me can show up in, in, in a hockey romance? Really? Right. And, and that's, and, a, that, that's interesting to see. I, I would say someone who, you know, doesn't typically read romance novels or, or have the same understanding of them as you do that, you know, I guess my conception of them is the sort of, you know, Harlequin romance, you know, bodice rippers, uh, period pieces and stuff like that. And, you know, in reality, there's a much deeper, uh, you know, modern tradition, I guess, or, or, or modern romances, um, you know, that are sort of set in a, in maybe not exactly the real world, but a real world, a, a world that could but exist. Yeah. yeah. You know, that mm -hmm. could exist for someone, um, you know, it might have elements of that, uh, of fantasy, I guess, to a certain degree. Um, like in, in your book, the name, it's a, you know, miracle that the, the main character is a hockey player. I mean, that, that is sort of like a, mm -hmm. a fantasy, a fantasy figure. Most of us are not, are not, uh, you know, lucky enough to, to be going on dates with professional athletes or, or, or great, you know, great, but, but it is, but it is real. There are hockey yeah, players in this world. That's what I mean. Yeah. He's not, he's not there a pirate. Are, exactly. He's not, like, he's not a, you know, a, no, exactly. a, you know, a, mm -hmm. a disgraced count or something like that. So uh, it, 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 it's very, it, it's very cool to see. It's grounded in reality. It does feel real. And, and, the, and the Jewishness is really, uh, you know, front and center, certainly, certainly in this book. Then, and that's important to me. You right. know, the Jew, be, the Jewish, Jewishness being front and center. Like when you write something, when you write anything, whether it is a historical, a paranormal, contemporary fantasy, it doesn't matter what it is. 
you have to have a reason for it, whether it's the stories that you read as a kid, you know, with your grandmother, or whether it's the stories that inspired you most, whether it's based on things that you love watching with your family or your friends, you know, screaming at the television, like eventually something's going to hit, something's going to hit hard and that's what's going to happen. And like, it's always going to be written through your particular lens, so to speak, like, how do you see the thing you love? How do you want to change the thing you love? And then all of a sudden that becomes a story. Oh, it's, it's amazing you talk about that in change. Let's talk a little bit about in, in the new book about Asher, mm-hmm. um, you know, specifically the Jewish hockey player yep. who in conjunction with the main character is trying to sort of start a, a advocacy group for yep. Jewish athletes Yep, to make Jewish athletes sort of a more, you know, uh, 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 respected and outspoken group you know the book treats that as very sexy tell us a little bit about that so um as and rightfully so it's i mean it's important like there are a lot of there are a lot of different things that sort of brought um that inspired that aspect of the book one of which is um i think the book is called unwritten rules and it's written by evan f moore and jashvina shaw and it's a really interesting sort of way to talk about hockey culture and how to change it. And that was, um, I'm part of a group called the Chippy Chicks. We do a monthly YouTube show uh, and for the romance writers who are also huge hockey fans and we talk hockey, romance and a whole bunch of other stuff. And we did a a book um, discussion of that. And um, one of the things that I was thinking as I was reading, because of course, like over the past number of years, there have been various anti-Semitic incidents that have happened, you know, in con- in conjunction with hockey. There have been five minutes where like the NHL talked about, oh, it's great, you know, we need to stand together and deal with anti-Semitism, but nothing happened. Sure. And like, there has been no pushback, no nothing. And so as I, and there have also been, as you probably both have have heard so many different stories on all levels of kids dealing with anti-Semitic incidents when we play, when they play hockey. And so Mm -hmm. as I'm reading this book, I'm thinking about um, the ideas that are suggested sort of generally to help change internal hockey culture as a sport as I'm, cause I've, I've got most of this book pulled together, but I'm thinking about these ideas and what to do with them. And my slight frustration at like what visibility or lack thereof, you know, when it comes to Jewish players, when it comes to support for, to fight against anti-Semitism beyond simply words, sure. I looked at the HDA and I was like, this is what we need. You know, as a romance writer, um, one of the things that I'm most proud of in the past couple of years is something called the Romance Schmooze Discord, which is a, an amazing collection of brilliant romance writers and readers who all of us happen to be Jewish. We're writing Jewish books, reading Jewish books, talking Jewish things. There's a whole bunch of stuff in context there, and I love this group so much. But it was something that I was missing, you know, in the earlier part of, of my romance writing career. Mm-hmm. And there were two different articles um, one by one, I think it was a profile that Adam, that, uh, Zach Hyman did in the athletic where, excuse me, he kind of sort of, there was a, there's a sentence or two in the profile and I can't exactly remember, but basically like it was this sort of idea and desire for community. Mm-hmm. And it echoed something that Adam Fox said in an interview, I think with the JTA, like it was literally that sentence could be like copied and pasted. Right you know, from Fox to Hyman. And I was like, in the back of my head, thinking about 
the HDA, the romance schmooze group, and how that all got together. And I was like, that's what he wants. That's what his, that's what Asher's purpose is. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's the, this thing what, that I want. In the book, I mean, he's, he's starting sort of like an advocacy group for, for Jews in hockey. You know, he talks about the, it's certainly something we've heard from, from athletes we've talked to over the years about this idea of like, you know, coaches starting every, every practice with a Christian, mm-hmm. you know, a, a maybe, you know, nominally denom, non-denominational, but actually Christian prayer. Um, you know, yep. the idea of building, uh, you know, what, what it means for a Jewish athlete to be built. Like, so from some of our listeners don't know, like in the hockey system, in the major junior system, like players are often, uh, housed with families in the town they happen to be playing in. Um, and it's a system called billeting. And it's like, I, I actually hadn't thought about it before, before seeing it in your book of it. Like, what does it mean if you are an observant Jew and you're billeted with a, a, a you know, some, some non-Jewish family that doesn't know what that means? Uh, what does that mean? Are there yeah. players who have been dissuaded from going down that route because of what that would mean? And, and what does that mean for their careers that, you know, it's in, hockey is, mm-hmm. you know, a very, very of, of any of the North American sports, the, the whitest and, you know, most uh, culturally Christian. Uh, yeah. Sure. Culturally Christian sport. I mean, in so many ways. So it's interesting to think about these things. And at the same time, I mean, we are, as you know, lots of people pointed out, us included, I hope we, we are in sort of a golden age of, of Jewish hockey playing. Um, there, Very much there, there's so. probably as many Jews in the NHL right now as there have ever been, and, and Jews yep. at the highest level, you know, Fox, Hyman, the, the Hughes brothers, like, yep. a, a, you know, and, and on that. It's sort of amazing to see. So it's, it's cool to see it reflected back in the culture of, you know, oh, what if uh, we have a, you know, Jewish, uh, a Jewish hockey playing protagonist who is, you know, mm-hmm. a, a nice Jewish boy and also uh, a prime athlete and interested in his community and, um and, and and all that so really really cool to see well something just to jump in here something that strikes me you know we've spoke to zach hyman we've had him on the show before um and you know we, we'd love to talk to adam fox one day but you know when you look at a lot of the jewish athletes out there they stand out as two guys who like really care yeah um very much so. and and they want to create the community and they want to live jewishly publicly um which, you know, and they're not shy about it, which isn't, you know, which even amongst some Jewish athletes is totally new. It's it's kind of amazing. Like I have been slightly salivating over the Hebrew version of the uh, the Edmonton Oilers, Zach Hyman jersey. <laughs> right. But not only mm-hmm. that, because it's number 18, like I had, I lost sure. my, I lost, I lost my like lost my shit excuse my language um over over the swearing podcast okay okay like (laughs) when i saw he was doing that changing his number to number 18 and why and how public he was about it that's a frigging big deal you know right Mm -hmm. that was a huge deal for a lot of reasons and like for fox becoming more and more open about his judaism about his desire to represent the community like my i have an eight-year-old nephew um, at the time of the book, he was seven, but like, nevertheless, you know, when I was writing the book, he was seven and he, it is nice. It is very nice that he gets to grow up now that Harrison Bader is on the Yankees and he's talking more and more about <laughs> yeah, his faith, true. but yep. like, it is so wonderful for him to grow up and see players on his team who worship like he does, who, you mm-hmm. know, who have Passover seders, who right. have, you know, experience in going to Shabbos dinner, who know what a challah is and like, you know, how to pronounce it too. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a gift in a lot of ways that I think, 
like it's it's just a gift period end of story and, um, and so it seems like that that sort of um focus on representation I, I guess we spoke to this before a little bit it's sort of reflected in the romance community as well because as a, yep. again in, in in my estimation of things i would imagine that like once upon a time you know the religion of the character wasn't mentioned it was just sort of nominally christian nominally white like that I mean, was the protagonist of of yeah, any story like, right and now it is I, yeah. I, I i'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that you know jews aren't the only people who have reach for some specificity with the, this and that the same yes you, know, you can find that within romance you know it's so it, it's interesting to see how um how i don't want to say niche per se but how specific the you know genres are within r- romance fiction uh to get to this point where you know there is this whole a whole canon of of jewish sorry of jewish romance a canon of of sports mm-hmm. romance stories you know set in the Roman yep. age very cool well, very mean, cool to see i mean sports romance isn't new for sure okay. like it's it's kind of fundamentally been part of the genre for a long time it depends on like like one of the people that i um that i do the chippy chicks with is a huge winnipeg jets fan her name is kelly jameson she is like one of the ogs we'll say of hockey romance like she's been writing hockey romance for a long time for many publishers that no longer exist um and she's you know she's again like you go back to like rachel gibson writing for harper collins avon and deirdre martin published by berkeley the penguin the penguin group okay like it's and it goes even further back than that but specifically but like in terms of conversations about diversity and inclusivity like it's the same conversation that happens in sports that happens everywhere like all the things that i love are having these conversations you know you think about you know, you think about Renee Hess and, and Black Girl Hockey Club and the same conversations are happening in romance. I mean, um, my first thought is is the amazing Quana Jackson, whose We Need Diverse Romance campaign started, I want to say, like right around the time where I think it was 2015. I don't remember. But the point is that like you know, everything echoes in that same way, in that same conversation, which is why it was so easy for me to think about like community and what that would look like in hockey, because all of the same conversations are happening in the same ways. Right. You know, whether it's in hockey, whether it's in music, whether it's in romance writing, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting, it's an, it's an, it's a really cool stage of life, we'll say. Uh, so, you know, I guess we don't think of, I, I, I mean, the Jewish athlete per se as a, you know, as a central figure, he, he he sort of is supposed to take on this, um, you know, very sexy role. I guess it, it, it's it's not a traditionally Jewish role in terms of physicality. Uh, was there something appealing about that in terms of framing a, a Jewish protagonist in that in that sort of different light, in a, an athletic light uh, that that was appealing to you, or, or, or uh, something you want to focus on? I mean. Um, I think what ended up happening, I think the one time where I really focused on sort of destroying body types and preconceived notions of those body types and what people are supposed to do with them is in a book called Love and Latkes, which is the third book in my Friendships and Festival series. Um, I kind of, I didn't really think about how revolutionary it was in terms of body types and, and Jews in terms of stereotypes in hockey, if that makes any sense. I kind of was just like, I do what I usually do, which is I'm just going to shove Jews everywhere. <laughs> you know, I'm going to shove us everywhere in places where they don't expect us to go. And I'm not, thankfully, I'm not the only person who does this, but like, that's how I see it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even when the evidence is to the contrary, I'm going to put us in you know, and we're going to be there and we're going to be proud and celebrated. And maybe some of that is, is hopeful fantasy. Maybe that is, <laughs> you know, a f- reflection of reality, or at least hopefully it will be a reflection of reality at some point in time. Um, if that makes sense. Well, this, so. For sure. This might get a little 
you know, we might be getting deep into literary corner and now analyzing here, but I, you know, you think about, you know, traditional sex appeal of hockey and, and also with Judaism and it's much more of a functional behavior, right? Like, you know, the hockey body and the, the, the sort of traditional hockey look isn't necessarily the most chiseled Fabio type romance novel guy. It's, it's at least not in my experience having played hockey and not looking like that. It's, it's functional strength Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily the body that makes hockey players as intriguing as they are. It's the culture and the attitude, which is also very true of Jewish people. Mm-hmm. I, I guess there's and a like, there's a tradition of, of Jewish sex symbols or Jewish male sex symbols being more cerebral. It's not necessarily physical and stuff like that. This seems to be a, a reframing <laughs> of things. And, and not to say, I mean, your, your, yep. your protagonist is not, uh, you know, he's not like he's cast as some himbo per se, like some dummy. But there is an element of the, of the you know, the... the I don't know, the jock archetype that, that comes through in some of mm-hmm. these things that I think is understandable as a, as a more, um, a more classic, but not necessarily classically Jewish uh, object of, of, uh, of affection. Well, it's also like, you know, there thankfully are, thankfully are stories that like I can look to and be like, okay, what happened with this person? Like, what was their life? Like, you know, like um, what inspires me about writing this kind of story, you know, like my most popular story, mm-hmm. the male protagonist of that story is like a six, you know, like a tall beanpole, like, and who is the most ridiculous human being on earth. I love him to pieces, but he's the most ridiculous human being on earth. He's the hero of Miracle Menorahs, which is my first book. The importance when writing him, I didn't think of him as the most ridiculous human being on earth, but really. I thought of him, like I thought of him as the main female character sees him. Okay. I thought of her. I thought of him through her eyes, and I think that's the most important part of it. Like it's not like, you know, covers and all of that kind of stuff aside. The most important thing about writing a character sexy isn't general broad sex appeal. When you are writing it, if you do it correctly. The most, and I've I've said this to friends, like the most ridiculous human being on the place of the earth can be the most sexy if you see him through the him or her, who whatever their gender identity or presentation might be, if you see them through the eyes of the person who falls in love with them. Interesting way to put it. That is, and that's and that's the key for romance writing, right? Like when you are writing those relationships, at least that part of it. If you manage to make that protagonist, that love interest, sexy in the eyes of whoever is falling in love with them, you're golden. Doesn't matter. That's very powerful, especially for you know people who like Jews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, which is great. I mean, like, I mean, we are sexy. I mean, of course we are. Yeah, but like, course. but like this idea of like you know what that preconceived sort of you know Christian like notion of what sexy is sometimes kind of ridiculous stacy we'll have to let you go before we do i want to ask uh, a, a question that's timely for for this time of the of the hockey calendar are mm-hmm. our play, playoff beards sexy it depends is it based on whether or not someone can grow grow a, a full one is, is there a variety that's uh <laughs> that's better or worse because some some of the guys are very patchy 
in terms of what they can do. Yeah, the pat the patchy's not so not the patchy's not so sexy. Like the like the beard has to like has to fit the wear. Like you okay. can't just have ridiculous like you can't oh god, brain is not working. He used to play for the Sharks. I think now he plays for Carolina. I know yes. Of- I'm yeah. not I mean it's trademark for him. I for me it is not sexy. Like that's not my that's mm-hmm. not my type. Some people love it. I'm like great, you know. Right. Well, I it's, guess I guess we'll have to see if, it, it if the Rangers can get far enough next year to see if Adam Fox can uh, can pull one off. <laughs> I, I was going to say Jack Hughes seems like sort of a, a goatee. Seems like he can he can top out at the goatee. Yeah. No. Um, um, which is certainly a look. Uh, I have yeah. one last question for you. Sure, talk to me. Um, you know, in the world, you know, we've talked about obviously Jewish hockey romance is your forte. It is the world you're in. Are there any other sports that Jewish romance has developed into such a culture? Yes. And what um, are they? Can you talk about I want to sh- give a humongous shout out to Katie Casey, whose baseball romances are freaking amazing. I'd, I have I have a love-hate relationship with baseball and have had since um, the Yankees stadium um, attached itself to Metro North. And I used to work at Grand Central, but that's another story entirely. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but like... Katie Casey's baseball romances are freaking amazing. There's also a lot of other hockey writers, Ari Baran, um, in particular, I can think of off the top of my head. Um, there are tons of different authors who've who've delved and dove into different sports romances, and it's kind of amazing to see. Um, I mean, it was just like Katie, Katie Casey. Can... I, I think some of her work deals with uh, same sex yeah. same sex uh, romances between yeah. between players on they, the same team, which is you know pretty. Push, yes, pushing the limits on, on, on what's, uh, I don't know, commonly accepted in, in professional sports or, or at least publicly accepted yeah, in, in professional in sports. sports. Not fa- yeah. yeah, but not in. And it's, it's, it's wonderful because, like, one of the things that I love about their writing is the fact that, like, um, they're a huge baseball fan. Right. And it comes across, like, the detail, like, you know we didn't go deep into the like specifics about like what, you know, like we went into some specifics about the book, but you can kind of tell, like I have, I have a little bit of a hockey obsession (laughs) (laughs) and like recognizes, like when you're talking about fandom and sports and how fandom makes sports romance better. Okay. Right. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. I mean, I think it, I think we see it in, uh, in both, you know, Jewish and sports movies, for example, that when the people mm-hmm. making those things don't know what they're talking oh, about, God. it shines through. Like I saw, I saw a TikTok of I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was the one with Jason Bateman and Jane Fonda to Shiva, and uh, oh, someone was oh, point, oh, some, that one. Someone, yeah. so, the the TikTok video pointed out that like there was a tray of hamantashen, and like the you know the Shiva, the Shiva, not the Purim uh, party, was taking place in October. Oh, my God. And just that, like, it's very discordant. To, like, I suppose one can eat a hamantash yeah, no. at all times a year. The amount of times I've walked into someone's but, house like, in October or for a shiva, and there's been a tray for sh- of, I was going to say, yeah. like, for shiva in particular. Like, a, a tray uh, of hamantash yeah. now is, is pretty limited. And the same way, like, uh, you know, in sports movies, like, you, could, you, you can usually tell who looks like they've thrown a baseball before, who looks like they've shot a basketball mm-hmm. before, this and is- who they cut away from when they're doing it. So I, I think it, it really does shine through in your in your work about, you know, your – you know, you know the romance. You know the hockey, and uh, you're able to put that all together that, into into a book. That means, 
Yeah. That means a ton. It's very true. Yeah. I'm I'm about to go sideways for a second, but that's the same reason I never liked Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> oh, God. In, like, the second episode. In, like, Wild the second t- episode, <laughs> she goes to Zabar's and gets some pork chops. What Jewish person has ever eaten a pork chop in their life? <laughs> Does Zabar's even have them? But also, fun wild story. Exactly. Fun wild story about that. Um, So the show premiered the day after my birthday, or the day it was supposed to premiere the day of my birthday, I think memory serves and then i read an interview with the lead actress talking about how she has oh she has jewish friends i'm like nope that's it i'm done yeah not happening yeah yeah (laughs) i think uh i remember emily nussbaum who's actually been on been on a a Mm -hmm. cjn podcast before she called it actively anti-semitic yeah i was like "Mm." i was Uh, like i have too much to watch too too much to do we're sideways here. We're off the point. Yeah, but Stacey, uh, <laughs> before good. before you go, is there anything uh, to, to plug uh, where people can find your books, uh, where the, where the, where they can get uh, the name it's a mistake? Hit us with uh, your pluggables when, when it comes out. So, the name it's a mistake comes out on June first. It will be available from Tuli Publishing or anywhere books are sold. Um, you can find me at stacyagdern dot com or um, s agdern on uh, Instagram or TikTok, NY Stacy on Twitter or Stacey A. Agdern on Facebook. Fabulous. Thanks so much for joining us, Stacey. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, big thanks to Stacey for what was a really fun and interesting interview. I, I don't know if this is the right time to ask it, Jamie, but what do you think the horniest professional sport is? Oh, great question. Um... It's got to be something with some physicality. Uh, like, you know, no disrespect to baseball, curling. My initial reaction is Aussie rules football. Oh, it's got okay. The short shorts and the, the long and lean men. Look, I think I think any way you slice it, okay, maybe horny is the wrong word, but the, the most romantic has to be figure skating. Yes. I mean, it is, you know, paired. It is the only sport where there's multiple uh, competitors that is like a pair, a couple, and... Uh, not even necessarily opposite gender anymore, as same-sex uh, figure skating is is you know in its infancy, but coming coming together. But it is uh, you know I mean there's it's called ice dance like there's there's a romance to it. Um, I don't know if that makes it the horniest though. It is definitely not the nudest. You know there are much nuder sports generally. Speaking. No, the nudest has got to be like water polo, beach volleyball. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know and there's, those sorts there's an of things. Inherent horniness to that. There is, but it's also like. I don't know, in the water, in the sand. I don't think it necessarily like creates a sexy environment per se. So I don't know. I don't know what ultimately gets to be the point. I, I think I actually uh, think that depends. You know what? Like we like we talked about, there's all kinds of different niches and specifications exactly. and, and people have their own their own likes and dislikes. And uh, you know, as Stacy talked about, it, it's okay to be basically horny for, for hockey players, horny for baseball players. If that's, if that's that, uh, what, what you're interested in, that's what you, all these novels are, you know, getting to, to a certain degree. Not that romance you, is exclusively about horniness. I understand that. No, it's not. It's a, it's about a lot, but I felt, I felt it was yeah. apropos, although I do want to point out the inescapable Jewishness of your answer on beach volleyball, not <laughs> being, not being sexy because there's too much <laughs> sand. No, the sand's just gonna get. Eh, I don't like the sand. Too much. All sand. right, I think that's that. That's a good place to leave it. Uh, until next time, uh, as always, we are brought to you by the Canadian Jewish News. Uh, you can find all Canadian Jewish News content, including this podcast, if you're 
uh, if you want to get it straight from source, bring it back over and over and over again. Just get into an infinity yeah, loop exactly. of, of being referred to the podcast uh, by this podcast itself. Yeah, you can find that at the CJN.ca. Uh, we're produced as always by Michael Freeman, who for some reason continues to put up with us. And uh, <laughs> you can reach out to us and 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 talk to us uh, on Twitter at Menchwarmers, uh, where we are still around occasionally. I mean, definitely less on Twitter than I used to be. It's it's gotten pretty bad, but I'm still there until it, has it has have you noticed an Elon difference? Uh, yeah, the product is definitely worse, and also just like I don't experience that much, but like there's definitely more hate speech on there uh so you know i i don't think uh uber Sturmfuhrer musk is is going to be reigning that in at any point in the future so uh we're, we're still on twitter uh at mentors if you want to reach out, out to us there um like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening uh you know download a podcast app on your phone subscribe to it mentors can come right to you automatically uh every time we publish Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon. See you soon.